I looked at Pastor Jim during, right after his prayer, and I said, Jim, you're a good father. He looked at me and said, there are times. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, every father knows uh, that reality, that there are times, and in fact, each one of us um, have had different experiences with our fathers. Uh, Some of you stood enthusiastically to honor your father because of all of the good attributes and acts of kindness, tenderness, care that he showed uh, to you throughout your life, and others, well, not so much. Because fathers are human, and we'll revisit that subject uh, toward our ending uh, today, but one thing we can be certain of, and that is that the Father heart of God is here today. Uh, to release his blessings to his sons and to his daughters. And uh, regardless of the type of father that you had on the scale of, you, you fill out the scale, good, bad, sensitive, insensitive, uh, or um, we know for certain that we have a father who is in heaven and that he has done everything by which we can come to know him and receive the full measure of his blessings in our lives. Isn't that neat? The Father heart of God wants to bless his sons and his daughters. Well, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 10, actually the first, I think, um, 11 verses here, and I'll read those in just a moment, uh, because this word actually speaks of the Father's intention uh, to um, choose a people and to secondly call those people into relationship, giving them the capacity to hear Him and have intimate relationship with Him so that they can um, obey Him or fulfill uh, their destiny. Uh, But before we read uh, John chapter 10, you know, that Jesus said, I am the door. That's what we're going to be reading about. I don't think we can fully understand uh, this text until we understand the context of this word. And the context of chapter 10 um, is not tremendously startling, but it's chapter 9. Now, that's not always the case because sometimes there's a hard break and a new theme starts. But in this case, Uh, John chapter 9 is the immediate context and allows us to understand John chapter 10. So let me, if I might, uh, just summarize uh, here in John chapter 9, some things had happened, and it's a picture of what we begin to hear about in John chapter 10. John chapter 9, uh, verse 1, Jesus passed by and he saw a man blind from birth, begging. To make his livelihood. And the next couple of verses, the disciples ask Jesus, well, who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? And the implication was because he's blind and is having this difficulty in his life, who sinned? Did he or his parents? Well, you know the answer to that. Jesus said neither, but this is so that uh, you might see the work of God being revealed. It's the compassion of the Father's hearts. So Jesus then uh, 
goes up to the man, seeks him out, and spits on the ground (laughs) and makes clay or mud out of that and anoints his his eyes and then tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash in it. I don't know if you find that interesting or not, but can you picture that, the blind man? He's minding his own business. He's just blind. He's in his own world. He's begging, asking for alms, sitting somewhere. And uh, is this guy wrong or is his parents wrong? And Jesus said, no, this is because God wants to show his works. So he walks up to the guy and he spits on the ground (laughs) and makes mud of it and anoints his eye his eyes, both of them, and he says, now go uh, rinse in the pool of Siloam. And uh, so he went and he washed. And lo and behold, he came back seeing. Well, the man being healed then began to be questioned by those who were observing his coming back and his undoubtedly he was... uh, pretty shaken and expressive about being blind and now he can see and he begins to express that and um, he was then asked what happened to you you were blind in verse 11 um, he said a man called Jesus made clay anointed my eyes and said go wash in the pool so I went and I washed and I received my sight now they who were then interacting with him being the good uh, neighbors that they were, took him to the Pharisees. (laughs) Don't you need good neighbors like that? (laughs) Well, they took him to the Pharisees, and they uh, they brought the man who was formerly blind, verse 13 of chapter 9, to the Pharisees. And uh, lo and behold, it was the Sabbath day on which Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. And uh, an interaction ensued, a conversation, a dialogue between the man who was healed of his blindness and the Pharisees, and it sort of deteriorated, and the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, that is Jesus, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He can't be from God, he just broke one of the laws of Moses to keep the Sabbath. So the Pharisees reviled the man who was healed, and said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. Now, verse 34, he said, you are completely, they, the Pharisees, looked at the man who was healed and said, you are completely born in sin, and you're teaching us? Sounds pretty prideful to me. (laughs) And then they cast him out of the synagogue threw him out. Now, Jesus, this is going somewhere. This is the context of what we are hearing about in John chapter 10. Jesus then seeks the man out who had been cast out, excommunicated from the synagogue. Jesus searches for him, and when Jesus found him, verse 39 of chapter 9, when Jesus found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man who was healed said, Who is he that I may believe? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. The revelation of God. In verse 38, he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. 
So this is not a hard break. The story goes on, and as we begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 10, um, well, let me read verse 41 of the end of the chapter. The very last verse, it's, it says, uh, th- verse 39, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those that see or think they see may be made blind. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. So in the context of this conversation, Jesus then speaks an illustration to them, to the Pharisees and to the crowd and to the people that were observing this work of God, a man's blindness being healed, and the hardness of heart, the excommunication Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper, or porter in some translations, opens and the sheep hear his voice and He, the shepherd, calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. And verse 6 says, Now Jesus used this illustration, but they who were listening to it the Pharisees, uh, did not understand the things which he was speaking about. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He who, uh, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep they did not hear. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Lord, thank you for your word, and would you enable us to understand it this morning and apply it uh, to our lives so that we might be those who understand that uh, you have called us by name and that you have led us out and that we're hearing your voice and that we're obeying you as you speak in Jesus name. Amen. Well, let me share if I might a little bit of background about this thing called a sheepfold because most of us aren't all that familiar, familiar with sheep. Um, Although when I was a a youngster, maybe five or six years old, my grandmother lived directly, my grandfather and grandmother lived directly across the street um, of a a farm. And on this farm, they had cattle, but they also had sheep. And um, so I got to see firsthand sheep being sheared and uh, that, that whole thing and interacted with sheep a little bit when I was 
uh, younger. But in, in Palestine, in the, the first century and earlier, in fact, um, a sheepfold is it, actually each village had a sheepfold, uh, usually just outside of the village, you know, the town center, uh, so to speak. And uh, the sheepfold was a, a piece of property that was held in common by all of the shepherds of that region. And um, it, the sheepfold was protected because, in fact, there were wild animals in Palestine and Israel at that time. Uh, I didn't know it, but there were actually mountain lions and kind of leopards of sorts and different carnivorous animals that could scratch and kill and destroy. Uh, the sheep, and in this case, Jesus is talking about they're also thieves and robbers. So what would happen is that at night, different shepherds would lead their flocks up to the large sheepfold, and whether it was um, a, a large and thick uh, fencing made of sticks or whether it was actually walled with brick, it doesn't matter, uh, but there was only one way in and one way out of this large pen, corral, if you will, where all of the shepherds would come and bring their sheep at night, and they would all mix together in the sheepfold. And uh, then after the sheep were put in the sheepfold, it was entrusted to a doorkeeper or a porter who would lay either in the doorway or near the doorway, and it was his responsibility, or I presume hers, uh, to watch over the sheep and protect them, at which time then the shepherds would dismiss themselves and they would go and seek lodging either in the village or set up their tents on the surrounding hillside. Um, so leaving the sheep in the care of the doorkeeper or the porter, and in the morning then the shepherd, each of the shepherds would come and they would enter by the door, the porter would open the door to them, and the shepherd would call them out by name. And the sheep then would follow them, and he would lead them to pasture. Now, that's just sort of a, that's some of the background of what's happening in this illustration. And everybody understood this. Well, verse, uh, uh, what was it, verse 9 uh, Jesus, or verse 6, uh, those who were listening didn't understand, what, what, why is he telling us about what we understand, about sheepfolds? Well, the first thing Jesus said is, he who does not enter by the sheepfold of the door but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, Jesus often told things about people, but he didn't often get right in their face. He told them parables or illustrations, and he was illustrating that there were lots of well, shepherds in, in Judea or uh, leaders in Israel who were illegitimate shepherds. Guess who he's talking about there? The Pharisees. They weren't interested in this poor blind man. They were interested in, in their own understanding what was right and wrong. Uh, the, the sheepfold here, probably at face value, uh, is, is talking about uh, Judaism or is, is Israel or the Jewish religion. And uh, what Jesus was indicating here, I believe, is that uh, in Judaism at that time, God's elect, many of God's elect people were to be found. And uh, Jesus, in fact, was, was after that. You remember in in fact, Matthew chapter 10, you could remember that Jesus appointed his disciples and he gave them authority and he sent them out into all the surrounding towns. But he said to them, 
only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, Jesus had sheep in Judaism, and he was calling them out, and his first line of ministry was to uh, find those who were called of God and elect of God and draw them out of the sheep pen, uh, which was Judaism. Uh, so, um, eventually, the Gentiles would be brought in, as you remember, from Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius and Peter had the vision in Cornelius' household, etc. But Jesus was saying here that whereas the Pharisees were illegitimate leaders and illegitimate shepherds and were not after the protection and care of the sheep, he then says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. You see, Jesus presented himself to them as the lawful and the legitimate leader of Israel, the lawful and legitimate savior, the lawful and the legitimate shepherd of the people. You see, Jesus came and he fulfilled all of the law. Unlike the Pharisees who were trying to keep people and lord it over people and have them obey from an external point of view to somehow everybody think the same, walk the same, act the same, and therefore somehow be right, Jesus said, no, I have come that they might have life, and he began to call his sheep out. Now, he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, so Jesus presented himself as the legitimate shepherd, attested to by all of the Old Testament prophets. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you have all of these prophetic utterances about the coming of this person who was eventually fulfilled in the person of Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, interestingly enough, when uh, Peter went to the household of Cornelius, after a season of time, uh, God had gone to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and it was time for the gospel to go into the Gentile world. And there were a series of visions in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. It says this, To him, that is to Jesus, all of the prophets witnessed that through his name, the name of Jesus, whoever believes um, on him would receive forgiveness of their sins. And guess what happened? The very next verse says, when Peter was yet speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of them. Jesus is the legitimate shepherd um, of Israel. And uh, he, he fulfilled all of the law, and the doorkeeper um, is the one who opened unto him. Now, this, this is an illustration we got the bad guys over here, the bad shepherds, the, the Pharisees. We have Jesus, the legitimate, lawful shepherd, calling it, coming and calling his people out. Um, but in verse 3, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens and presents the shepherd to the sheep. I think there are two aspects of this. John the Baptist is probably the first herald, heralding and uh, declaring this is Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But in a more generalized way, the Holy Spirit is the one who is the doorkeeper and who introduces Jesus to us. We can't understand who Jesus is as a lawful and legitimate shepherd until the Holy Spirit, the doorkeeper, opens unto us and invites Jesus in and we begin to hear his voice. You recognize how important the role, the person, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit actually um, is to each one of us? 
the doorkeeper opens and presents the shepherd uh, to the, his sheep. The Holy Spirit witnesses to and authenticates Jesus to each of us. And at that point, do you remember um, when you were blind and couldn't see? Do you remember when things of God were unaccustomed to you, unfamiliar to you? You felt awkward and didn't quite understand? And something happened when God began to use his word and the witness of other people and enlightenment began to happen. The light was turned on. The Holy Spirit began to open your eyes and to present this person of Jesus to you who then eventually comes and calls you by name and says, in a thousand different ways, in lots of different words, he says to you, come out and follow me. And you heard that by virtue of his spirit. You heard his voice calling you, and you responded to him, and here you are some weeks, months, years, and decades later still following the king of kings, the true shepherd of Israel. You see, uh, the, the beggar here um, uh, illustrates in chapter 9, that's how each of us were. And the illegitimate shepherds didn't care about your blindness, but Jesus always cares about our blindness, and he goes and he calls us, and he performs what is miraculous and calls us to himself. Beggar illustrates those who are called to follow him to hear his voice and to obey him. You know, I think of when you read the scriptures and you look at the word call, it's just a little word kaleo where it just means, hey, come. In Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it, it says uh, that through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called in Jesus. You recognize that you're called in Jesus and how miraculous that is that in, in your capacity to hear that call demonstrates God's election on you having chosen you from what the scripture says the foundation of the earth and has brought that election forth to him to those who are in Rome in this case beloved of God who have been called to be saints. That makes you Saint David, Saint Stephen, Saint Jim. I mean, we're called to be saints. Now, we don't feel saintly, but that's in fact who we are by virtue of having been chosen by God, elected by God, called by Him, responding to Him by virtue of His acting in our heart and uh, living out that life that He gives to us. In Romans uh, chapter 8, you might be thinking of that text that says in verse 28, for we know that in all things uh, God works together for the good of those who love Him to those who are called according to His purpose. You know, sometimes I just feel low as a bug. You know, emotionally, and I know some of you do too. Emotionally, you just feel off kilter. That doesn't matter. You are still 
the called of God, and every circumstance is still working together for your good because God has called you according to his purpose. It gets better. You see, not only have you been called according to his purpose, but for whom he foreknew. God knew this before time even began. He also predestined us to begin to look like his son Jesus, to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn, that he might be the firstborn among many who are also born into life. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified by the working of the cross, by his blood being poured out, and those whom he justified, he will also glorify. You see, it's not really up to us. Oh, yeah, we say yes, God, every morning to him and what he wants to do. But God began the process. The Holy Spirit opens the door, introduces Jesus to us. Jesus comes in, and he says, he calls you by name. And he says, follow me. And if you've heard him say, follow me, you get up and you walk out of your deadness and your blindness and your oldness as the blind man left Judaism to follow Jesus. Jesus always calls his people out. In fact, that's what the church is. The church is an assembly of people who have been ecclesia. Ecclesia comes out of the root word call. Ek, called out. We're called out of what? Deadness. We're called out of darkness. We're called out of our blindness into his glorious light. See, that's the blessing of the Father. Regardless of circumstances that we could be walking in on today or today, it's still the blessing of the Father. See, Jesus used this illustration, but verse 6 said they didn't understand it. They didn't understand the things that were spoken to them. Why? Because verse 39 of chapter 9 says, um, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. The blind man was blind, and now he could see. But those who thought they could see remain blind. And so it is in every culture, in every age. Jesus calls some out. There's a general call, I believe, that goes to all people in the gospel. And some hear it and demonstrate their effectual calling. God calls them out. You see, they were illegitimate shepherds in Israel, but the Holy Spirit is calling people out of Judaism, out of darkness, and introduces them to Jesus. Now, Jesus shifts the meaning of the door here. The first thing he says in verse 1, um, he who enters by the sheepfold of the door but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. He's talking about the physical door of the sheepfold. But then he uses, he, he shifts the meaning of the word in chapter 7. And then he says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the only means by which the sheep can come out. Christ himself was the way by which the elect of Israel could pass out of Judaism. It was only through Jesus. And it's the very same thing for us. See, through Peter and the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, again, the Gentiles would be brought into Christ in the fullness of time. Jesus is the only door of salvation. He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the door. Enter by me, and you will be saved, verse 9, and go in and out and find pasture. 
But the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Now, I don't think this is, first of all, talking about the devil, the enemy of our soul. I think in keeping with what Jesus is teaching, he's saying that there's a lot of thieves and robbers who are not after the welfare of the sheep, but I am the one who has come as the true shepherd of Israel. Now, having said that, I think an application is we still have an enemy of our soul, and he wants to confuse us and confound things, but Jesus wants to make it clear. He has come that we might have life and that we might have it even more abundantly. You see, what I'm trying to say from this text and what I believe Jesus is actually saying from this text is that there are people whom he is calling out of the sheepfold out of a state of bondage, out of a place of darkness, out of a place of blindness to follow Jesus. He's called us, and those who respond to him are those who are hearing him. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get it? It's given to some people, I guess, that they just don't get it. That was true of those who were in the sheepfold in Judaism that thought they had no sin, and yet their sin remained. Who thought they were Moses' disciples, and their sin remained. But those who were called out by name follow the true shepherd. They hear him. The ability to hear demonstrates that they, in fact, have been called. And then obeying him authenticates that they've both been called and have heard. Called to what? Called to intimacy with him to know him, to hear him, and to follow him, and to be transformed into his likeness by his life actually living in us. Jesus, in verse 11 then in this text, ends by saying, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life on behalf of the sheep. I'll close with a couple of texts. It came to my mind, when God calls a people, he chooses them from all the people on the earth. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, says, You, therefore, because you have been chosen, are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of blindness, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 1, 4, Jesus has chosen us in him. God's chosen us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the earth that we should be holy and blameless and live in his love before him chosen before the foundation of the earth. Maybe you're here today as we begin to conclude here, and you go, you know what? I'm not real sure that I've heard him call me. I'm not real sure that I've responded to him. How can I know? Well, The way you know is simply by faith. When a person gives the control of their life over to God and says, God, here I am. I want to follow you. I hear 
you calling me. Something's different in me. I want to live for you. I want you to come into my life and begin to change and rearrange and have your way in my life. When that attitude of heart is there, you can be certain that you have heard his voice and that you're responding to it. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you that it is the Father's richest blessings that you would send forth your Son into the world, that the world through him might be saved. Father, thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to be the doorkeeper, the one who can introduce us to Jesus, the legitimate and lawful shepherd of our souls. Lord, thank you that as you call us to respond, we can hear that voice and that we can say yes to you. And in saying yes to you, God, we know that we are called, that we are hearing, and that our heart's desire is to obey. So, Lord, I ask today that as we end here, that if there's anyone here who is not certain that they have responded fully to you, God, that you would call them, that by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you would enable Jesus to speak to their heart, to draw them to yourself, that they might be filled with the presence of Jesus. But Lord, I sense that as we close here that because it's Father's Day, that there are some who want to give great praise to you for their father, some here that want to give you praise for what you have done in them and through them by calling them out of darkness. But Lord, there are some that want to give you thanks for their earthly fathers, who just want to say, God, I'm so grateful for the man that I have called my dad here upon the earth. Lord, there are some others here that may have more difficulty in being uh, thankful for the man. Perhaps there's been woundings that have been inflicted by words that have been said or actions that have been taken. Perhaps there have been places where there was neglect uh, or not doing or not saying uh, what may have been needed at the time, where they may not have felt protected. Lord, whatever, whether we give praise for our dads or whether there's a place of need that you want to heal, God, I'm going to ask you to do that right now through the simplicity of faith. Lord, would you come and would you begin to minister? If you're at a place where you simply want to say, God, I thank you for my earthly dad. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're in a place where you go, oh, not so much there's hurt and there's, there's pain, but God, I know that you've called me and that you are my father, 
and that you want to heal those places of my heart. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand that we might end in praying for each of those who give praise or those who are asking for a special touch. Lord, if there are men here who, who are fathers and like each of us, we live in a measure of regret. We wish we would have done certain things, but we didn't said certain things, but we did. I'm going to ask you to stand in just a minute too because I believe God our Father wants to bless his sons and his daughters here, whether you're male or whether you're female. If you have a place of praise for a dad or a place of need that you want God to touch. Here in closing, I'm going to ask you just to stand real quietly and quickly, and then let's pray. Lord, we open up our hearts to you today, and we want to thank you that you are a good father and that you really have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. Lord, you have called us out of our blindness. You've called us out of our darkness. You've called us into intimate relationship with yourself. And Lord, for those who have places of pain in their life because of, well, dads who maybe weren't there, or words that were spoken that shouldn't have been spoken, or attitudes that were reflected. God, for whatever our needs are, whether to give praise for our dads or whether to ask you to touch and to heal that place of need, God, you see them. And more than anything else, you love us just the way we are. I see in my spirit a picture in my mind's eye of the father in Luke chapter 15 in the parable of the prodigal son the father's standing on the door pacing back and forth looking toward the horizon waiting for his son in this case to come home Lord would you call the sons and the daughters to come home today to come home to you to come home to a place of rest all who are labor and heavy laden, Jesus would give us rest. God, where there's bitterness, would you begin to resolve it today by your spirit? If there are places of unforgiveness that you've alerted us to in our heart, even this morning, Lord, we bring those places to you today and we give them to you. And we thank you for your love and mercy. Lord, thank you that we have been given by your spirit the capacity to release others and to set them free. God, we thank you for your goodness as a father to each one of us. And we bless you today, O oh God. Lord, we pray that your people would begin to walk freer and further than they ever have. God, that you would release by your spirit into each one of our hearts in each one of our experiences, the full measure of your life that we could love, that we could labor for those around us, and that we could lead others to know the Savior who has called us out of darkness 
and into your marvelous light. So God, break us free. You said whom the Son sets free, they are free indeed. I'm going to ask that some on our prayer team, our ministry team, our elders and their spouses, if you would make yourselves available this morning. Let's close with just this uh, closing song, and then we'll be dismissed.